good to see everyone here. It's always interesting to me to find out how people made it to Spokane uh, as, as a city of choice or as a city that you find yourself here against your own will. But let me, let me just tell you really quickly or remind several of you how Tisa and I made it here and our kids. It was uh, about 19 years ago now. We were living in Prescott, Arizona. We had planted a church there, uh, had pastored it for a while. We felt the Lord was moving us uh, actually north. And so we began to look at different states. Like we were looking at Wyoming and Idaho and Colorado and, and then Washington. And it was in that search and in that time of prayer, we went to our public library in Prescott. And it was there that we had this book on cities and we found this city called Spokane. And we're like, look at this place, you know? And so we start talking to each other about it and how it was four seasons and it was this certain population and it had uh, had uh, just all these cool features to it. And so I thought, I want to see that place. Well, a week later, somebody had called me from Seattle who was the director of the church planting uh, part of Foursquare. And so I booked my plane through Spokane and I went and drove over to Seattle. Spent some time there and in my talk with, uh, with the guy that was over that, he said, here's the deal, Mike, go anywhere you want, just don't go to Spokane because we already have something going there. He's like, but we'll, we'll fund it just go anywhere along the I-5 corridor, find a city in Washington, and we'll get behind it. And uh, so he said, just don't go to Spokane. And that, of course, is not the thing to tell me, right? But I tried to be a good person and an obedient person. And so I went up and down the I-5 corridor, looking at all the cities, praying over them, going to Bellingham, stopped in Leavenworth, thought, you know, yeah, I could see this, you know, Bavarian church here. Uh, <laughs> And then I drove, after all of that, drove to Spokane to get my plane uh, and go back to Arizona. And I, I drove up to Mount Spokane before I left. And I looked over the city and I looked over the community and over the region. And I just, I felt this overwhelming sense of God saying, you're home, this is it. And I was, I, I, I was blown away. So I drove off of, uh, you know, down Mount Spokane Road and came into the town of Mead. And I didn't realize there was a city named after me. And I knew... <laughs> That's it, God. Missing an E, but I, I fixed that and was arrested for vandalism. No, I, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But uh, anyway, so we, we moved here in 96, and the first year we were here was the ice storm. And that, it's like Armageddon. And I'm like in my sleeping bag, no power, no lights watching across the street where they had power and lights and they were eating Thanksgiving dinner. And I was just angry and just thought, God, why did you do this? Why did you bring me here? And yet, uh, truthfully, uh, that was just a really rough year, but uh, the last 19 years have been amazing. We love this community. We love what God did in bringing us here. And uh, we just love, I mean, the people are real and genuine and warm without a lot of pretense, and the, the seasons are amazing, and the, the, the area is beautiful. I just love this community. But I realize there are some of you who, you were born and raised here, right? And so you have a huge family network here. But those of us who maybe came here without that family network, it's mixed bag, right? Some of you love it, some of you maybe not as much. Maybe you're here temporarily for work or for school or for the military, and uh, one thing we all share in common as Christ followers is that we are called by God to care for our city. 
to care for. No matter how you made it here, no matter whether you absolutely love it or whether you just kind of like it or don't like it at all, God hasn't called you to like the city. He's called you to love the city. And that's what I want to talk about today. And we're starting a new series called For the City. And I want to look at what the scriptures teach about living in a city and what we can do as people of God to be a part of it and to accept it, even in all the good, the bad, and the ugly, because there is no perfect place to live. I've lived in many different places, in different states, in different cities, and, and in different places uh, in, in another part of the world. And, and uh, so there isn't any perfect place. But we are called to be a church for the city. Now, you can be a church in the city, meaning that you're located in the city, but kind of ignore everything else around you and just kind of focus on building up your own membership as a church and focusing on your programs and your people. And that's kind of what I would call a church in the city. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Or you could be against the city. Uh, and when we were in Prescott, there was a church known for being against the city. They were at odds with pretty much everything and everybody all the time. They're the type of people that would come in a park and you're just have, minding your own business and they'll accost you, you know, and tell you what a rotten sinner you are and how you need God. And, and you know, they, they're the type with a megaphone during the city parade. They were always suing the schools or the city. You can be against the city. Not a wise choice, in my opinion. Or you can be a church of the city. In other words, that's kind of a church that so wants to be accepted by everybody, where, where you lose the saltiness of who you are as a church, as a people, called by God's name, where the value of Scripture goes down to a, a low place, and where it's all about fitting in, and it's all about accepting the values of the culture around you. Or you can be a church for the city. Instead of just being in the city, looking at maybe building up your own thing, or just being against the city, or, or wanting so desperately to be accepted, how about for the city, where we know who we are in Christ, we know that we have a message called the gospel that we need to, uh, in an in a, um, unapologetic way, preach and teach and uphold a biblical worldview and hold the scriptures high, but do so in a spirit of grace, where scripture is taught with passion and clarity and boldness, and yet at the same time, we're participating, looking, for, looking to be part of the solution rather than just looking at the problem. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet who can teach us a lot about how to reach the city. Jeremiah knew what it meant to be a stranger in a strange land, which is exactly how many Christians feel. And as culture shifts further and further and it gets more fractured, Christians can feel kind of isolated, living as exiles in a culture. Jeremiah was living in Babylon with all the other exiles who were removed from their homeland against their will, living in a city that was hostile towards them. I mean, it wasn't a very friendly place for the Jewish faith. And in this city, what did God tell them to do in Babylon? Did he say, guys, just grin and bear it. You got 70 years. Be good. No, he didn't say that. Did he say, fight against the city because it's got all kinds of issues and problems? He didn't say that. He didn't say, withdrawal and isolate and cocoon. This is what the Lord said in Jeremiah's uh, writings in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. 
you have a Bible, you can open it there and read along with me. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then verse 7, you can highlight this one. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In Jeremiah 29, many of the people... They're living in exile, living in Babylon, this capital city that was not friendly towards them. The Lord comes to them and says, I want you to settle down. I want you to plant roots. I want you to become uh, involved in being a part of this community. I want you to pray for this city. I want you to pray and seek the peace of the community. And that word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And I love that word, you know, back in the hippie days, you know, we used to kind of use that as a, as a greeting or as a see you later, like, shalom, dude. And uh, so some, some of us, we hear the word, we think it's just like this really cool buzzword. Others hear shalom, we think, oh, that means the absence of conflict. It means peace. But it's really a rich, rich biblical word. And the word shalom means universal human flourishing. It's flourishing physically, economically, and spiritually. And by seeking the shalom of the city, God was asking those who were called by his name to be the best citizens of the city, to live and invest in the midst of the social and cultural world around them without losing their unique identity as the people of God, encouraging and supporting the enjoyment of life, creating shalom in every niche of society. Now, what does that look like? Well, seeking social shalom means actively praying for and seeking for social reconciliation on every level within the city, whether it has to do with race or whether it has to do with those that maybe look at at, uh, their sexuality different or have different viewpoint of religion. It doesn't matter. Seeking the shalom of the city, that we don't have to agree with everyone in order to seek the peace of the city. Seeking peace doesn't mean you compromise what you believe. It means that you look to build bridges in a diverse culture. And we see ourselves as a city within a city. City of God, the people of God called to love the city. The second uh, way we can look at shalom is you look at economic shalom in the city. Because again, shalom is a much broader word than it is of just trying to reduce conflict. That means that as a Christian, our job isn't just to get a job, just to hold a job down. It's not like the city owes me a job. No, seeking the shalom, the economic shalom of the city means that I care about every every person doing well in the city. When the water line of the city goes up, it's good for everyone. Because when the tide, the economic tide rises, all the boats float higher. That might mean shopping at local stores or drinking local coffee. It might mean starting a business and employing other people. It just means praying for and seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city, not just my own personal life. A church that loves the city is is a church that fervently prays for its leaders, 
loves its people passionately, builds relational bridges wherever they can, cares for the poor, reaches out to the newcomer, seeks to serve and become part of the solution rather than just looking at the problem. Well, I've invited our mayor, David Condon, to come this morning. I wanted to interview him this morning as part of this series, and he was kind enough in his busy schedule to set a little bit of time aside to come and do that. Would you welcome him as we bring him up here? Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Well, um, here we are, and uh, you are from Spokane, right? You're I am. I was uh, born and raised here. I'm the youngest of 10 kids, um, and uh, like you said, I have uh, 48 first cousins, and most of them live here <laughs> in town. My dad was one of eight kids. My uh, mom was a transplant. She lived in the Quad Cities in the Midwest and came out here because uh, she went to college with my dad, and uh, so yes, uh, I left. I did leave for a while. I was raised in the Catholic tradition, uh, went through parochial schools. Uh, I am an eagle, but I'm a Boston College eagle. Sorry, Eastern <laughs> out there. Uh, but uh, so I went to the other uh, side of the country. I served in the army for about nine years, and then found my way back to Spokane. Yeah, and we had where a, I met my awesome wife. I was going to say, out of the corner of my eyes, I saw my <laughs> my in-laws out there. So I, uh, uh, I was going to cue you. I was going <laughs> to prompt you. Yeah, yeah. No, it was wonderful talking to Kristen earlier, and uh, and and your three great kids that you have. And I'm glad you remembered for service to go down and get them because yeah. they were having fun. I think <laughs> down there, and we're just going to stay. Yes. Well, so. You being here is really special to us. We, we care a lot about um, the city. We want to be a part uh, of, of uh, the betterment of our city as a church. And, and what would you say are some of the practical needs that you look out as, as mayor and look out at the city and see? Well, you know, as um, I came into this job about four years ago, I brought together at the urging of others and can't, uh, I don't remember, I don't think it was my idea, but I often as I looked around the city at the time and what really compelled me to, to seek this office and, my, and ask my family to join me in that, um, I really felt like we needed to reach out to the church, the, the body of Christ, the larger church. And so it was uh, February of uh, almost four years ago now, we got mm -hmm. together at Life Center where yeah, I I've been, been attending uh, for well over a decade with my wife. My wife's family has been part of that church for many years. And um, about 100, 110 pastors and bishops. And it kind of, it, it, it floored me to tell you the truth. I looked out there and I did see uh, the Catholic bishop, the Lutheran bishop, many pastors and others in the faith community. And you know, it just came to me, we've got to engage in our community. We've got to engage and so often, and what I mean about engage and yes, we need to give of our time, talent, and treasure, and that is all very good. But on a very personal level, I often say to, to connect the, the giver to the receiver is so critical, I think, for both to grow. Um, and yes, you'll have a, you know, a, a circumstance maybe from time to time that the giver may be not be giving in the grace of God and is overbearing and otherwise, but more, more often than not, you will see an amazing bond, and people need to be needed, I learned that from my dad, um, and but at the same time, people also are 
are compelled to give. And so as, as we do that and in so practical ways, we launched Compassionate Spokane uh, two years ago uh, to be the most compassionate community in America. And you know, as, as we did that, uh, we sought out and, and similar to Serve Spokane, launched volunteerspokane.org and really anybody and any talent can be used throughout uh, our community year round. Uh, last year alone in a single week, we have a Spokane Gives Week, um, 10,000 uh, volunteers gave 55,000 hours of service in a single week. Wow. And you could only imagine what that would be all year round. That's amazing. Yeah, I, just in talking with some of the nonprofits that exist within our community, um, I've been blown away even just in this, this year alone to see what a giving community Spokane actually is. It's a very, especially of their time, um, but in, in all ways. But uh, it's And you said it, you said as, as we were sitting here, you know, you talked about Spokane being the right size people. And as I am uh, from time to time meet with other mayors across the country, you know, many of them are exacerbated at the size of their cities, and we all love visiting the cities that these mayors are mayors of, but the, the, what is so exciting, and what I mean is they just don't feel like they can have an impact. And Spokane, I always say it is the right size. It's just big enough for a mayor or, you know, to, to have the resources to, to maybe uh, um, combat a certain issue or solve a problem, um, but at the same time, it's not too big that you can't bring hundred faith leaders together and say, okay, folks, we need to come together. And as I talk to my colleagues across the country, they just don't have that ability. And I think you're so right. People are so willing to give uh, in, in our community. And how do we do that? And, and it really is how do we come together on certain issues, whether it be you know homelessness or, or nutrition or early childhood development or some of these, all these issues. And whichever, and like I say, you ask, you know, what are practical ways? Whatever is people's passion, I feel my job is to connect people's passion with Spokane's needs um, and not to change your passion, to really just build off your passion because uh, as we all know in the, in the volunteer world or giving of service, uh, the compensation is, is the, the fulfillment of the God-given talents you have and the passion that you have. Yeah. So we're talking about um, shalom. We're talking about uh, being people um, that seek the peace and the prosperity of our city. So as a church like ours, um, what could we do better, maybe? Or what could we do, what would you like to see churches do better to, to really practically be a part of the, the, that human flourishing piece? And, you know, uh, it's probably a little different of my answer from the, be, uh, from the first service. You, you just described it, you know, uh, churches that are in or of or... Um, or against or for, I think so often we need to, and that was my message uh, and has been, um, is we need to be a people for, in this case, a church for um, our city. And what is it? And how do you break down uh, those barriers? How do we get involved as individuals? Of course, volunteerspokane.org is you know, a, a non-religiously based organization, but I would suggest uh, that um, the church needs to get out there in the community, needs to serve alongside those that don't believe. It's not necessarily evangelical, but in the sense of them seeing the service of those that are Christian, uh, that those uh, that serve um, through God and, uh, and for God, but in a way that is genuine, in a way which I think like you, you've commented on, I think is uniquely Spokane. We are a, a genuine people. Um, but also 
to realize uh, that there's, there's many needs out there, that we can't just come to church, you know, and, and go back to our communities. Um, I would just comment very specifically, it's a phenomenon that's happening in our community and maybe across the country, that our churches have left the center of our, of our city. Uh, and, I mean, quite literally, you know, property values are higher than the church can afford. You have very large churches that are expensive to run. Um, and yet at the same time, many of them served the, the, those that find themselves in the center of our community. And this has been going on uh, for thousands of years, that those that are homeless, those are, that are without food, don't find themselves in the suburbs. They find themselves in, in the center of our city. And so I, I really call upon the church, I mean, uh, to, to remember how do we serve those that are literally on our doorsteps uh, but now in today's world may not be. And so how do we reconnect yeah. um, with that? That's good. I mean, and that, that, that has a lot of practical implications for us being right here at the top of this division hill in our city that um, we have no intention of moving out. I mean, and it was tempting when we were in that place of looking. Uh, land is cheaper. You can get more of it. Um, you know, there, you don't have to encounter as much of the the, the, the tough stuff that happens right within the midst of the city. And so I feel like as a church family, we have a unique calling uh, to be a, a, a key part of just contributing to be part of the solutions. Uh, is there anything that churches do that out of well-intention, but we're not furthering the ball down the road at all that we could maybe do differently? Uh. You didn't ask me this question the first I know. service. I, uh, <laughs> I, I brought my notes because I'll tell you, he was good. It was, uh, gave me my homework several months ago when you asked me to do this. And that's always a difficult message to, to share is to tell somebody that maybe that's not working the best. But it, uh, my chief of staff always says, well, Mayor, if what you can't face, you can't fix. Um, and I guess my, my big uh, issue is there are so many people doing good things across our city so often people want to start something new. And I would just suggest on the individual level and as, as a church, literally Life Center North, is to find out what's going on there and come in and serve with those people that might have started something. I would guess in this room here today that there's a half dozen people that are executive directors or, or part of nonprofits that are very good nonprofit. And I always find, and that's what I did with volunteersspokane.org, we don't need to create something new. We need to get behind and serve alongside those that are already serving. And so there may not be the notoriety or the, or the brand newness of something brand new, but to go in and serve alongside those. And I always find that there's two key things that nonprofits need. They need people and they need resources. Um, and starting yet another one often depletes that because yeah. people are spread. But, and maybe there is a day that something new needs to happen. I'm not suggesting that there isn't new gaps to fill. But I'd also say this. I find so often, and as we launch Compassionate Spokane, which really focuses in three areas, philanthropy, um, literally of giving uh, of resources, financial resources, capacity in our nonprofits, really helping out our nonprofits be better nonprofits, and then volunteering. And those are the three key areas. But what I've found over the last couple of years is people put this huge threshold. Maybe it's similar to church. They feel like they can't go to church until they're perfect. And then they get here and they realize that they're sitting next to other people that aren't perfect. And, uh, but we have this idea, well, we shouldn't give because I can't end up on the front page of the paper of giving $100,000 or 10000 Or I can't give 10 hours a week, so I might as well not give one. 
And I'll tell you, as I see the most amazing nonprofits, if they could have the same person two hours a month uh, and it's just consistent, they would be jumping for joy. I use an example also is people think, well, all service, you're going to be out there doing physical labor, you're going to be doing this. I'll tell you, if you're a bookkeeper and you had a nonprofit, and I've seen this happen, you know, a person starts a nonprofit, they hate book work. They're passionate about whatever they're doing, so they toil for hours on a Saturday afternoon on their bookkeeping and making sure they're filing their IRS forms. If the bookkeeper came in and whipped it out in two hours, they would, and then it, release, yeah. it releases that person's God-given talents to do why ever they started that nonprofit rather than toiling over something. Um, and meanwhile, you just, for that two hours, just... I mean, just leverage somebody now 10 hours that really is that physical labor or whatever that nonprofit is. Because I, I, when you go after your passion, um, I think it's uh, – and because that, that's, that's the reward in this work. Yeah. Um, so to me, if, if we could, is to see what's out there already and yeah. come in and serve alongside them. If there happens to be a new need, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But I, if there's one thing I see that we could do better yeah, is to serve along those that are already serving. Synergizing together and – it makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to ask you another question I didn't ask you um, earlier. And uh, so like in, say, two sentences or three sentences, what is the vision that you have for the city of Spokane? You know, we, we a couple of years ago sat down and we really talked, and I, I heard you even slip out of your mouth earlier, maybe not on purpose, but is to create the city of choice. And you said there, well, that sounds nice, Mayor. But literally, we sit there on a whole myriad of issues, and you could imagine there's 12 different divisions in the city. Would this cause somebody to choose the city of Spokane to live in? And I use city in a broader you know, scope. I mean, there's many people that don't live proper within the city limits, and I think a region is. But what, what do I mean? And I, that would, that's what brought me to if we were a more compassionate city. Would that cause people to go, I want to be a part of a city that asks me to engage with my citizens? Does it, you know, I mean, you know, and, and if we were a safer city, would that cause me to live in a city uh, like Spokane? If we were a smarter city, so we safer, stronger, smarter is our, is our key areas. And so my vision is to be that city of choice. And how do we bring people together in a single vision? And so often I find um, that people say, well, you know, the, everything is different. Everybody wants something different. And when you ask them, over and over again, well, what if you, if you could choose to live in any city you want, what city would you want to choose? And often people come into those, a safer community, uh, one that is stronger uh, intellectually, one that is stronger financially, and they really seek knowledge in being a smarter city. And so we really almost, uh, it wasn't an aha moment. It was really a generation of a couple years of, uh, of us. And I, like I said, I, I mean, down to very you know, uh, fundamentals of government, we asked, well, would that cause somebody to literally move into the city of Spokane? And we have to ask that ourselves over and over again. And that is our vision for this community. Um, and I do hope that it's one that brings all of Spokane together. Yeah, well, it's a big job. I mean, very diverse, uh, lots of different people and thinking and religions and values that are all just this huge melting pot. I, I have to imagine it's a, it's a big job and very difficult to do, especially as a Christ follower, to go, how do I live my faith, and how do I lead the city and do it in a way that treats everybody equally and respectfully? And, and uh, how can we pray for you? Well, you just uh, hit the nail on the head, and that is um, it is a struggle for any of those in public office, I would suggest, 
those I agree with and those that I disagree with, and that is to how do you, uh, how do you provide a vision for a city um, and at the same time um, inc incorporating everyone's beliefs but provide a, one that does not um, subjugate my own values. And um, I've been often asked to give opinions, and it's probably the biggest surprise I've had as, as mayor is, what's your opinion on this or what's your opinion on that? And I've uh, disciplined myself not to. That being said, especially if it's not under my purview, it's not something that the city government uh, does on a daily basis, but it is always a struggle of mine of how I, I provide a vision that includes everybody, um, but one that is not so baseless that it gives up my own uh, values. So I, it is a struggle. I also um, would ask for prayers for my family. This is a huge um, um, humbling experience uh, in being mayor and a huge honor. I often say to folks, what a blast to be the mayor of your hometown, and one that I was born in and one that I plan on dying in and raising my own children. But um, at the same time, uh, it takes a huge amount of work from my wife and my children. Um, and it is not a, people ask, well, how do you balance your work life and uh, balance? And we don't. Uh, and I often say, and as my in-laws are here, uh, we integrate it. Um, and that's why my children were here today. Of course, we normally go to Life Center, so this, of course, is where we came today. But that being said, they are a lot of part of my of my work, and uh, they know what their dad does. And uh, but on it obviously is a big uh, price to pay for for a young family, um, and so I often ask for prayers for my family. And so both um, sharing a vision with this community, and then also for my family personally. Yeah, we're thank you for that. We're going to pray right now, and we are we are called uh, by God to pray for our leaders. Um, to pray for our city, to pray for our country. And what an opportunity we have this morning to be able to pray directly for Mayor Condon and to pray for all of our city leaders and, uh, and the hard work that they do uh, in wanting to make this a better community. And that's our call as well. To, uh, we don't have to agree on every point. We don't have to agree with every decision. But we are called by God to seek the peace and the prosperity of our city uh, that when we do, everyone gets in on it. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. God, we pray for Mayor Condon and ask that you would just bless him, God, with energy. Bless him with strength and stamina. Bless him, God, with wisdom and with discernment to know how to walk as a Christian, how to walk and how to make decisions and how to love people well. Lord, we pray, God, that you would be speaking to him, that you would be uh, just supernaturally giving him courage, giving him boldness, giving him all that he needs as a leader of a very diverse city. Lord, we ask, God, that, uh, that you would strengthen him and his family. Thank you for Kristen. Thank you for the kids, Lord. We ask that you would bless them and give them the strength, the supports, and as participants and team members in the ministry and in the calling that you've given to him. We ask, God, that you would strengthen their families and strengthen their resolve, Lord, to walk with you. Even though at times they're, they're living in a fishbowl, they're living in a difficult place as a public leader, we ask, God, would you just protect them and bless them? Thank you for this city, the city that we live in, 
We pray for its peace. We pray for its prosperity. We pray that it would be a great city of choice for many people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. So appreciate it. Well, we're going to close with communion. Great way to close this particular message up. Jesus himself loved Jerusalem, the city that he lived in and around. And it says in Luke 19, when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. You have to ask yourself, why would God, why would God weep over a city? And wherever God sees brokenness, injustice, pain, sin, it breaks his heart. And I pray that we'd be uh, the kind of people where we, our hearts would be moved by the very same things that move the heart of God. He wept and he prayed. God looks at our city and I believe he cares about it too. I believe he cares about the city of Spokane in this region. Jesus came to give us power to live a different life. Power to break the bonds of sin, power to be forgiven, power to live from the inside out with a completely new trajectory. Jesus also came to give us a promise, a promise that we would one day live in a heavenly city, a city that is without the violence and without sin and without sickness and without the tears and the death and all of, all of what we currently experience as humanity. And that new Jerusalem or that new city, that city of God is, a, is such a wonderful picture we see in heaven. And I wanted to read this that came from the book of Revelation as a picture of that heavenly city that we have been promised. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The Lamb is a metaphor of Jesus Christ himself. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a great picture of a city we get to look forward to living into forever and ever. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's who will enjoy that city forever. Where we'll worship Jesus and he'll be the center point so as we receive communion, I'm going to ask the ushers to come right now to pass out the elements of communion. The juice represents the sacrifice. Jesus spilt his blood, the innocent for the guilty. I'm the guilty. Maybe, maybe you recognize that you are too. And that Jesus came and he spilt his blood for us. And he gave his body represented in that little piece of bread that we'll take together. And so we remember Jesus as we take communion. So I'm going to ask that you just spend some time preparing your heart and praying as we worship, and I'll lead us uh, here in a moment, close us out.